the fourth week of our Family 2.0 series. In this series, we're addressing the question, how can we experience family as God intended it to be experienced? And uh, it's a great weekend to be in church if you're a lady, because I'm talking to the men. That means you can just sit back, relax, elbow, sharpen those elbows, I mean, because I'm going to give it to them today. My wife has informed me that there are some incredible differences between men and women. I don't know if you figured that out or not. For example, let me just show you a few differences. This is what women see when they go to the toilet, okay? This is what a man sees. See, it's just totally different. We have a just totally different perspective on things. Here's another one. This is a guy, $15 haircut before and after. Here's a lady, 275 bucks. Looks the same, but she's totally happy with it, right? Makes no difference to her whatsoever. Here's one. Dear God, please send me a man that is beautiful, caring, romantic, loving, smart, understanding, a man passionate who would never cheat on me, always gives me compliments, and never criticizes what me and my friends do. Thank you, God. Here it is from a guy's perspective. Dear God, hot body. There you go. See, just, it's just it's not that big a deal, but we're a little different. So I'll talk to the men this week. I'll talk to the ladies next week. And I have three goals this weekend as I talk to you guys. First of all, I want to encourage you, not discourage you. And by the way, just so you know, the Greek word for encourage doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean good job or you go boy. That's, that's not really what it means. This is literally what it means. It means to appeal, to beg, to urge, and to exhort. That's what it means. So that's what I'm going to do over the next few minutes. I'm going to appeal, beg, urge, and exhort you to be the man that you know deep down inside you really want to be. So that's the first one. Second, I want to stand with you and not above you. I'm going to be talking about five areas that we wrestle with. I don't want to give you the impression that these are your issues and not mine. I struggle with these temptations, these issues as much as you do. So I want to stand with you and not above you. And then I want to challenge you not to settle for just getting by. I think it's easy to look around in our culture, our society, and, and justify, you know, our actions. Because, you know, after all, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is living life this way. But my goal is, as men, that we raise the standard, we raise the bar back to what God where God originally intended it to be in our lives as it relates to our role in the family. And to do that, I am going to share with you five areas of temptation that I think as men we deal with on a daily basis. And these are very, very slippery slopes. In fact, once you begin to go down these slopes, sometimes it's almost impossible to stop. So the key is to, is to stay away from the edge. And we're going to talk about how to do that this weekend. A few years ago, we, uh, I, I experienced this... Um, we first moved here, our first house we bought because someone else was building it and they backed out and so we had a great deal on it because the builder wanted to sell it. And it wasn't exactly the house we liked but it had a full basement and that was important because in those days the church didn't have a building or anything, we were meeting in a school. So the basement allowed me to have an office where I could do counseling and things like that and kind of run the church out of the basement. Um, but uh, which meant we had a front yard and then it kind of sloped down. You know, if you have a walkout basement, you have a pretty slope on the side. And then we had, you know, the backyard. And, and then it went down to some trees and some, some underbrush and then down into a ravine. And there was nobody that lived around us. We lived at the end of a cul-de-sac. And we had, uh, we had this little dog. And uh, by the way, little dogs are a result of the fall of man in Genesis 3. It's part of the curse. I'm sure God created retrievers, you know, and irises, things like that, German shepherds. Uh, it's just a part of inbreeding, all kinds of things. We came up with these little mutt dogs. And we had, we had a Yorkie Terrier. By the way, if you love dogs, this story's going to offend you. Let me just go ahead and tell you. But anyway, uh, we had had about four inches of snow. And then about two days later, it rained. And it froze on top of the snow. And it was like an ice rink. I mean, you could not even break the ice. It was that hard. Well, the dog, Laura and I were getting ready to go somewhere. And, and, and the dog had to go to the bathroom. So I took the dog out, and uh, the dog wandered over to the side where it never goes, right? 
and began to slide down the slope on the side of the house, pirouetting, spinning around, rolling down the side, through the backyard, down through the trees, the brush, to a little ravine down at the bottom, a little bowl in the back of our yard. And it's just sitting there with this dazed look on his face. And I'm thinking, man, how in the world am I going to get that dog out of there? Because, I mean, literally it's just this ravine. So I decided, to, I still skied a lot back then. I went in the garage, I got my ski poles, and uh, I took like two steps, and my feet went right out from under me. I'm on my back. Now I'm going down the side of the slope, through the backyard, through the brush, all the way down into the ravine. I've freaked the dog out because of my uh, entry into the ravine. And now the dog's running from me. So I finally catch the dog, and I put it under my arm, and I'm trying to walk up out of this ravine. I'd take two steps, fall down. The dog would run. I'd have to catch the dog. take me 10 minutes. I'm in short sleeve shirts, jeans. It's about 25 degrees. And I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this situation? I'm going to freeze to death in my backyard. How, how, I mean, how embarrassing is that going to be for the family, right? And I can see Laura, but it's like three floors up because you got to go up a hill. And then we have the basement and the first floor and the second floor. And I can see her in the master bathroom. She's blow drying her hair. And I'm yelling, and, and she's not responding to me at all. And I'm screaming, like, what is wrong with you? Because I'm thinking, she's got to throw me a rope or an extension cord, you know, so I can climb out of this thing. And I figure out she's not going to help me. So... I find some bushes where maybe because of the, uh, the brush, the, the, the ice wasn't as quite as hard, maybe not as much rain under the bush, and I was digging my boots in, and I'd get it, you know, and I'd grab the bush, and I got this dumb dog out of my arm, and, and I'm pulling up, and I'm like cursing this dog, and I hate this dog, and it's an evil dog, and, and uh, we should never be in this situation. Finally, I get up. I have to walk all the, because I come up on another street. I have to walk all the way up the street. I'm freezing. I've been down there for about 30 minutes. I come back down the street to the cul-de-sac. I walk in, Laura's hair is perfect, makeup's on. She says, I'm ready, are you ready? My arms are bleeding, I'm wet from sliding in the ice. But let me tell you what we did with the dog. My favorite part of the story. I bred her, she had five puppies. I sold them and took the kids to Disney World. <laughs> Came back and gave her away. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful ending to a dog story. Uh, Animal Planet's been after me. New show, I Pimp My Dog. So you guys keep an eye out for it. it. It may be on soon, right? But the slopes we're talking about is that kind of slope. Took me a while to get back. But see, once, once you start going, it's almost impossible to start. And here's the problem. When you go down, you're going to take others with you. And many times it's our family. So let's talk about it. With that in mind, I want you to look at James 1 with me. James chapter 1. Uh, we'll put the verses up on the side screen if you do not have your Bible but James begins the book by pointing out some circumstances that may or may not be true, men, in our lives at any given point in time. He begins in James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. And guys, I'm pretty sure we've, you've all, we've all found ourselves in a situation at one time or another where we needed wisdom. Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, do I take this job or do I take the new job? Do I, do I stay here or do I relocate my family? We always find ourselves like we need wisdom, we need insight, we're not exactly sure what to do. Well, the good news is, according to verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, that's good news. And then, again, I think we've all been in circumstances where we struggle with doubt. So it says in verse 6, when you... But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And let's be honest, guys. As men, there are times we're unstable. There are times we're double-minded. You know, we've all been there. There are times that we're in. There are days that we're out. There are days that we're hot. There are days that we're cold. There are days that we're strong. There are days that we're weak. There are days that we are men of great faith. There are days that we're men of unbelief. But we find ourselves in those circumstances. 
He gives us another one in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. And most of us, at some point in our life, we can, we can relate to the guy of humble circumstances. Most of us have been in situations where having less than $10 in our pocket, it was just a way of life. And you pray that there was no unexpected expense like a flat tire that you had to replace because you knew it would blow the whole budget out of the water. And some of you, maybe you're there right now. And then some of you can identify with the person in verse 10, the rich person. Maybe God has blessed you financially. James says, that's great. Enjoy it while you can. There's no promise that you'll always have it. It may not last forever. My point is this. James seems to, to show us some circumstances that we're in and we're out at different times, different seasons of life. However, he then points out two situations that as men, it seems that we find ourselves in all the time. I think they're true of every person I've ever met, every man I've ever spent time with. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. It seems like as men, we're always in some kind of trial, some kind of pressure situation. I often say we're either going into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm, which means we're just getting ready to go into another storm. We're always experiencing some kind of trial, some kind of test. I've never, you know, I, I, I've never met a man who says, I don't have any trials in my life. So James says, that's probably just going to be a part of life for you. And then second, we're all being tempted. He says in verse 13, when tempted. He doesn't say if you're tempted. He says, when you're tempted, it is going to happen. And as men, it seems that we face temptation every day of our lives. There's the temptation, you know, to compromise morally or maybe professionally or maybe in our social lives. But every one of us as men, we're constantly facing temptations. But it's not the wisdom area I want to talk about. It's not the unbelief area that I want to address this weekend. It, it's not the poor or the rich or even that trials of life that I want to talk about. It's the temptation part. It's those slippery slopes. And I want to identify five temptations that I believe every man faces. And we're just going to work through them one at a time. And... Uh, Think of this more as a chat than a message this weekend. I'm just going to lay it out there because I know what you're going through because I go through the same stuff. And some of it's going to be tough, but put your big boy panties on because the Holly Springs crowd had to listen to me talk about this at 8 in the morning. So at least you've had a chance to wake up. So let's, let's just do this together. Here's the first one. It's the temptation to pursue material possessions. Now let me just begin by saying there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with material possessions. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to provide for your family. Not only is it wholesome, it's actually biblical. There was a young man that the great apostle Paul mentored and trained and was preparing him for ministry, and he wrote some letters to him. They've made their way to our Bible. 1 Timothy is one of those letters. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household. So it's bigger than just those who live in our house. This is actually family members around us who are in need. That person has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The New American Standard says infidel. You're worse than an infidel. So it's, it's commendable that we want to provide for our families. It's commendable that we want to put food on the table. It's commendable that we want to have a nice, safe home for our families to live in. It's commendable that we want to be able to provide safe cars that our kids and our wife can drive so they're not abandoned somewhere in the middle of the night. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to go to the extreme. And this is especially true of those of us who earn a good living, but we have the potential. See, there's the possibility to earn a better living. But to do that, it's going to require more time, and it's going to require more effort, and it's going to require maybe 
more longer hours and, and more time on the road away from home. And we justify it by thinking, man, if I could just work harder and longer, I'll be able to make an even greater contribution to my family. But I'm just going to tell you something, and, and you could be the exception, and that's cool. I've never met a family who was better off just because they had more stuff. In fact, more often than not, the opposite is usually true. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying this stuff is bad, but see, when stuff becomes a substitute for our presence in the home, things start to get messy. And we find ourselves on that slippery, slippery slope. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, making the most of every opportunity. And I point that out because, man, if you're competent, if you're capable, opportunities for your time are constantly going to be coming your way. But I'm, I want you to understand, there's nothing, there's nothing that can substitute for your role at home. Nothing. And if you don't believe that, here's some statistics. It's from an article entitled The Fatherless Generation, which is sad in itself. But this is what it says. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. And 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Any questions? I mean, <laughs> that right there tells us why the family in America is in the condition that it's in. Fatherless homes. We vacate our role. Nothing can take our place. Nothing can fill that void. You remember back when we were in school and we realized that our regular teacher was out sick and we were going to get a substitute? You remember that? We loved that. I mean, it was like party on because we knew substitutes were never the same. I was, you will not believe this, I was a substitute teacher's worst nightmare. I worked them all over the place, right? Because they just weren't the same. And in the very same way, there is no way a substitute can play this role for you. Stepdad cannot fill this role. Teacher at school, no matter how close your child is to that teacher, cannot fill this role. A coach cannot fill that, this role. A youth pastor at a church cannot fill this role. Only you can fill this role. And at some point, you have to decide whether or not you're going to give your children what they want, they need, and they, they desire. And what they want, need, and desire is you. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So really, as you think about your life, this is the big question you have to ask yourself. When you look back on your role as a dad, what do you want your legacy to be? You want your legacy to be, hey, I gave them a lot of toys, a lot of activities, went on some incredible vacations, they drove great cars. Or do you want to be remembered as one who imparted life, authentic faith, character, the value of hard work, maybe an attitude of unselfishness? Don't get sucked into what life tells you, society tells you. Don't get sucked into that lie. Beware of the slippery slope. The second one ties into the first. It has to do with emotional strength, and they're somewhat related. And I point this out because we all have a limited amount of e e emotional energy. We have a limited amount of creativity. We have a limited amount of humor and skills and maybe just passion and zest for life. Now, here's the temptation. It's the temptation to give our best for our careers and to give our families the leftovers. Now I know some of you, you're incredibly creative, you're innovative, 
uh, you have incredible enthusiasm, you get up early in the morning, you hit the floor running, you jog, you exercise, you hit the gym, you shower, you're on your way to the office before often your family even gets out of bed. You're motivated. Great. You approach your job, your career with incredible energy. And then maybe 7 o'clock, 7.30 at night, you drag in under the front door. You head for your most comfortable chair. You flip on Sports Center, maybe grab your computer, and your family gets the leftovers. So to all the men who are slip sliding away in the whole area of emotional strength, and remember, we're talking about the role you have at home. James would say this, do not be deceived. You need to be careful. You need to watch out. In fact, he might even say, back away from the slope. Sit down. Take a look at your priorities. See what you say yes to. Take a look at, at the choices that you make day in and day out that cause you to give your best efforts away from home. And then look at your family and see what they get in return. Now I'm going to let you in on a secret. The weekends will never make up for being busy every night of the week. And I'm telling you, quality time is a cop-out. Well, I'm not really into quantity, but when I'm there, I'm there. No. It can't be one or the other. It has to be both. And if you're busy every night of the week, the weekend will not help you recover from that. And I know what I'm talking about, unfortunately. Without a doubt, and I cannot, I cannot tell you how many times Laura and I have sat down and we've had this discussion about how we would have done differently, and I'd never come up with the answer. My biggest regret, one of my biggest regrets in life, is starting Hope Community Church. And it's not because I started Hope Community Church. I mean, God has been so good. But it haunts me that it took precedence over my family. Because I moved here, and I didn't have a church to pay me a salary, so I worked construction. And then I came home at night, and, and I did counseling. And I met with new people who were interested in the church, and I still had to get a message ready for the weekend. And, and I was pretty much out every night of the week. And it took precedence over my family, and I never meant for it to. But I would just be honest with you, and I'm, I'm just speaking from experience. My family has paid an incredible price for what I justified as doing the right thing. So if it could happen to me, I'm assuming that it can happen to you. So beware of giving your family leftovers. It, it will take a toll eventually. The third temptation is in the area of verbal capability. And maybe this one you can check out on, and I'm just speaking to myself. But it's to talk more than you listen. That, that's the temptation. It's the temptation to see a situation <laughs> and deliver the lecture when something needs to be corrected instead of listening and learning and earning the right to be respected. By the way, let me just tell you something. I can't find, and maybe you can find this and you can show it to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll correct my statement here. I cannot find anywhere in the Bible where the home is an extension of the workplace. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where the kids and your wife are your employees. So I'm going to let you in on a secret, guys. When you go to work, people have to respect you. You pay their salary. You can hire or fire them. You decide if they're going to get a bonus, a promotion. Nobody at home automatically respects you. You do not automatically give respect, man, just because you have the ability to make a child. Respect comes. Am I encouraging you yet? Respect comes. Respect comes because we earn it the hard way. We work at it every day. Look at what James says, James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Guys, have you just noticed that maybe we turn that around? We come home, things aren't as we planned. We open the garage door. Someone dared leave their bike in your parking spot. 
You walk in, dinner's not on the table. Kids haven't had their bath. Homework's not finished. What's your first reaction? Slow to speak? Really? Are you kidding me? No. If anything, you immediately deliver the lecture. And then when we're through, we got it out of our system, we may listen. But it's the exact opposite of what James tells us to do. We're very, very quick to fly off the handle. We're very, very quick to get mad and to speak, but we're very, very slow to listen. And it's because, you know what? We don't have the emotional strength. Listen to what James says in verse 20. He tells us why this isn't a good idea. He says, human anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. That's not going to get you where you want to go. It doesn't reflect what God wants to happen in your life. Now, I have observed in my numerous lectures, many which, by the way, have been incredibly eloquent with my family, that when I begin the lecture, everyone does get quiet. After all, I'm the loudest. I'm paid to talk. It might be the one thing I'm halfway decent at, so I have a tendency to play to my strength, right? And I've noticed that when I do that, my, my family, they would get quiet. And they would even look as though they were listening. But what I learned over the years is what they had actually done was just kind of tune me out. But yet, if I could enter the situation, and, and I could find out what was really going on, that maybe Laura had a bad day and she just wasn't feeling well, or maybe one of the kids had been sick, or maybe one of them was dealing with some kind of heartbreak at school, and mom's doing only what mom can do by addressing and healing that emotional wound, right? It's amazing what I would learn, and more often than not, what I discovered was I simply didn't know the facts. But here's the thing. Because I only had the leftovers from my family, the leftover emotional strength, I just didn't have the energy to stay under control and get the full story. See how it kind of ties in together? Now, here's the fourth temptation, and you knew this one was coming. It's the temptation to have an affair. And I realize, and by the way, let me just say, it's unfortunate, but if you read the statistics, you will find that there are as many women today who are having affairs in the marriage as men. So we got a, we got a, we got a big problem. And I realize that I'm speaking uh, mainly to Christian men, but don't tune me out because you've never had an affair. Or because your accountability partner, you know, you told your accountability partner, I will never have an affair. If you've never had an affair, that's great. But I would guess you're a liar if you say you've never been tempted. And you're an idiot if you don't think you ever will be. In fact, this is what I've learned. People who live like, that'll never happen to me, often they fall the hardest. So let's just set aside our pride. Look what James says, James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. In other words, don't ever catch yourself saying, if God had not led me to this hotel, if God had not led me to this bar, if God had not allowed me to take this trip, if God had not allowed my old high school sweetheart to find me on Facebook. By the way, just so you know, one out of five affairs is the direct result of Facebook. Marriage counselors will tell you, 44% of their counseling now in married couples is directly linked to social media. It's a very, very slippery slope. And I'll just say this again. There's not a man here whose wife should not know every password he has in his life. And ladies, I'll just tell you, if he's keeping passwords from you, and go ahead, man, email me. I don't care. I have security. If, if, he's, <laughs> if he's keeping passwords from you, man, that ought to be a huge red flag. It ought to be. Let's see what James says. <laughs> you guys think he had a bad week. Nope, nope. It's just, you know what, guys? At the end of the day, God's going to hold us responsible for our marriages and our families. So it starts with us. The buck stops with us. 
James says in verse 13, When tempted, no one can say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. This word enticed, it's a man's word. It was a word that was used in the first century to refer to a trapper setting a bait, to entice a prey into the bait. It was used to describe a fisherman who was casting a lure or a fly into the stream. Literally, this is what the word means in the Greek, to draw out by a bait to set a trap for the unsuspecting. It's this idea of drawing something from a place of safety, which in men in our cases would be monogamy, to a place of danger. This is what Solomon says about the temptation to have an affair. Solomon, uh, Proverbs 6, verse 32 and 33. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Now let me just be fair. A woman who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Let me tell you, that's about as straightforward as anything you're ever going to see or read in the Bible. Solomon says, don't do it. you got to remove it from the radar screen of options in your mind. In fact, Solomon says that adultery is such an utterly destructive activity that those who engage in it lack sense. You're an idiot. You're a fool. You will destroy yourself with guilt and shame. You'll destroy your spouse, you'll destroy your family, and you're probably going to take another family down with you as well. It is a loser all the way around. Solomon says, don't even think about it. Now, I've been pastoring for 34 years, and I've seen a lot of stuff in my days. I've been doing this long enough to know that nothing, (laughs) nothing I say is going to keep you men from doing what you want to do. But what will help is having a plan. So I'm going to give you a guaranteed plan that will keep you from having an affair but at some point, you got to implement the plan and follow through with it. And it's this. Put your wife's picture on the front of your phone. And when you meet a female and she starts to hit on you or flirt with you or she begins to tempt you a little bit, just pull out your phone and say, hey, I should show you the picture of my wife. Her name's Laura. Let me tell you how great she is. I'm telling you something. That picture will become a wonderful protector. Now, I have a policy, and it's for personal and professional reasons. I never travel alone. I never stay in a hotel alone. And the reason is, uh, one, personally, it always gives Laura peace of mind to know that I'm traveling with another man. He's staying in the hotel room with me. It's a big joke on staff. Who's going to travel with Mike? He's got another trip. And so I never do that. I never stay in a hotel room. I never travel by myself. But it's not just for me. It's, it's for the church. It, it's to protect the integrity of Hope Community Church. Because here's the thing. If I go down, I don't just take my family down, I take you down with me. And I take that very, very seriously. Let me tell you something. You will always see Laura's picture on the front of my phone. You know why? It's just a reminder that if if I blow it, I have to face her, okay? With a butcher's knife. (laughs) And she has described in great detail what she would do with that knife, right? And I 100% believe her. (laughs) Guys, the affair looks so satisfying, so tempting, so fulfilling. fulfilling. Tell me, I've I've heard the story a million times. Until it's over, and then it's a disaster. If I had a dollar for every person who has sat in my office and said, if I could just go back and undo it. If you slip, you take your family down with you. They'll never be the same. Here's the fifth fifth temptation. It's in the area of spiritual faith. It's the temptation 
to underestimate the importance of cultivating your family's spiritual appetite. And just so you know, men, it is your job. I mean, if you look at the, at the pecking order, the, the chain of command, or whatever you want to call it, if you have a military background, the way God set up the family, the man is head of the home. And I know a lot of you ladies, you hate that. You think, well, that's not fair. I, I Rarely do I see anything where God goes out of his way in the Bible to be fair. He just says, this is just the way it is. Deal with it. Now, man, you got to understand something here before you go home and take charge. What that's really saying is this. At the end of the day, God's going to hold you accountable for your relationship with your wife. And God's going to hold you accountable for your family. The buck stops with you. So you have to understand, it's our job to cultivate our family's spiritual appetite. But the problem is, in our macho society, it seems like it's mom's job, doesn't it, to do the religious stuff? Hey, Dad, what does this mean in Leviticus? I don't know. Go ask your mom. She's the one who goes to church. She's the one that's in a small group Bible study with all those women. Go talk to her, right? So I find it incredibly refreshing to talk to a man who has a genuine love for God. And as we saw last week in Proverbs 6 about start up a child or train up a child, and we talked about create, our, create that thirst. Men, it's our job to create that thirst for God in the lives of our children so that they begin to hunger after righteousness. Not forcing, but creating a thirst. Not demanding. See, we're good at that. But creating a thirst. I'll just give you a litmus test. If you have to force your children to come to church, if you have to force your children to go to hazardous assaults, I'm telling you, something is wrong with your training. No thirst has been created, just force. It's a great little letter we don't look at very often. It's now in the Bible. It's called 1 Thessalonians. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, I'll be honest, I was reading through this, and I, and I thought, this isn't written for dads. Not really. But I thought as I read it, this is my dad. This is my dad. Let me just read it to you. And maybe these words will fit you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. He says, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, Paul's talking about his ministry there, but I, I looked at that phrase, working night and day. You guys, I've never told you this about my dad, but my, my grandfather was an alcoholic, my dad's dad. Never saw my grandfather sober. Because of that, my dad, one of seven children, dropped out of school when he was in the sixth grade, became a butcher to support the family. He actually got his... High school diploma, he went back to Durham Tech. He got his high school diploma the same year that I graduated from college. He went back and got it. So cool. We celebrate together. He's more of a party animal than I am. But I'm going to tell you something. You want to talk about work ethic. Uh, when it would snow and my dad couldn't back the car, I, I would see my dad put on the boots, walk three, four miles to work, walk home, never miss work. So that I had the opportunity to go to college. He worked 10-hour days as a machinist at uh, Honeywell in Durham. And then on Saturdays, worked in a grocery store as a bag boy, taking out groceries so that we would have the money that I could go to college. So when I read that about, there's your role model right there. We work night and day not to be a burden to you. And then that, but we proclaim to you the gospel of God. My dad was the gospel walking in flesh, right? Then he says this, you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. I would, I would challenge you to find one person on this earth that could say something negative about my dad. He, that, was it, that describes him, devoutly, upright, and blameless. My grandfather, being an alcoholic, uh, my dad, he's, my dad's 86 now, 
It had such an impact on my dad. My dad to this day has never had a drop of alcohol. And I have a picture of him in Germany at, right at the end of World War II. He was in the Air Force. He's sitting with his squadron. They all had these big steins of beer, and my dad's got a Coke. I mean, just the, you just, he just watched, I mean, he was the real thing. We behave towards you believers just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and employing each of you. Now, here's the phrase, as a father would his own children. Two phrases out of those verses jump out to me. We proclaimed and we behaved. Paul said we didn't just talk the talk, we walked the walk. And I'm telling you, men, we need both of those. We can't just talk it, we got to walk it. If we're ever going to get to the point where we're considered to be spiritually authentic, and if we ever are going to experience family the way God intended it, this is an area where we're going to have to step up. If you want a great role model, look at the book of Job. This is what it says, Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. You know what that's saying? <laughs> it's saying Job was great on the inside. He was blameless and upright. But he was also great on the outside. He feared God and shunned evil. Again, in verse 8, it says this. The Lord uh, said to Satan, remember Satan said, yeah, let me tempt Job. You know, he's got it all together. And God said, God said have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. And God reiterates it. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. By the way, how, how cool would it be to have God make that assessment about us? You know? Can you imagine God saying to Satan, you checked out Mike? You checked out Bill? You checked out Ralph? Put your name there. There's no one like him in all the earth. That's what God said of Job. Do you know what God was saying of Satan, to Satan? He's saying this. There's a lot more to Job than what you see. He's even greater on the inside than he is on the outside. Now, guys, here's the big question. Does that describe you? Or do you look great on the outside? Men on the outside, whoo, you got it all together. You're a man's man. You're making it happen in today's world. Flash, polish. But if you dig beneath the surface... Not a lot of substance. Job was greater on the inside than on the outside. And that's the goal. And I'm telling you guys, when we forget what else happens in our family, when we get there, our families will be radically changed. Well, there they are. Uh, five subtle temptations. Maybe not so subtle. Man, aren't you glad you came? You want to know how you scored? Ask your wife. And my guess is she will not beat you up. Because I think, I think if you had the guts to sit down with your wife and say, honey, you heard the message. How am I doing? I think she'll be kind enough to say, you know, honey, there's some areas where you're doing pretty good. But yeah, there's some areas you could use some work. I'd love to see you step up in this area. And ladies, let me just remind you and just in case... Your husband does come home and ask you how he's doing. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your husbands as, a, as to the Lord. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It means, wives, treat your husbands the same way that you would treat Jesus. And the wives are thinking, when he starts acting like Jesus, I will start treating him like Jesus. Right? 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 Paul is saying this. You start treating him like that, he'll get there. Let me give you a secret about men, women. Honor him where you want him to be. 
Don't honor him where he is. Honor him where you want him to be, and he will get there. Men are like dogs. We're not pigs. We're dogs. We really are. You tell us we did a good job, we'll do it. Hey, honey, good job picking up your underwear. You know, we'll pick up our underwear every day. We, you just, you got to honor us where you want us to be, and we'll get there. But at the end of the day, the goal is not hypocrisy. It's authentic manhood, real Christianity. That's really what we're talking about. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for, ah, I'm not sure what I'm thankful for, um, truth. We know we have these insights now. Now it's a matter of what do we do with them. And right now I pray for men who are saying, wow, I wish I'd have heard this before because they've already gone down this slope. And maybe they did take their family with them. Father, remind us of this truth. It's never too late to start doing what's right. Never. It's never too late as a man to sit down with a family, even if you're no longer living in the home with them, and you say, you know what? I owe you an apology. I need to ask your forgiveness. Because there were areas I was not the man of God that God desired for me to be. And even though I'm not in the home with you now, I'm going to do everything I can to become that man and to fill that role in your life. There's just something about our family's ability to forgive that sometimes asking forgiveness goes so far. And Father, I pray for men that uh, they would come up with a plan for some of these areas. I think, how do I change things? And how do I do the right thing? Because some of them are thinking right now, Father, that means I'm going to have to talk to my boss. And I'm not sure my boss is going to like me not being out every night of the week and hanging out in the bars and taking the clients to the strip clubs. And I'm not sure. And Father, this is where that they're going to have to trust that you have their back. By putting you first, you will take care of them. Help us to understand, Father, this is the greatest calling we have in life. But we have to live up the calling. And it can make incredible impact on our families. And we're going to give you the credit right now for what you're going to do in all of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.